this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on your people this morning, that we might hear our Father's voice that we might know his love for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it is a great joy to be uh, with you all today among old friends, uh, Kathy and Lee and Sarah and uh, Rob McRae. We go way back. Rob uh, actually drove me home from the hospital once uh, after we had a baby. So uh, it's great to be among old friends um, I also just have to say how much I appreciate your clergy team. Chris is one of the priests I respect the most in this world. That's the truth. And I also love uh, Jonathan and Trevor. In fact, um, we, the two of us, or the three of us, we share a special bond and that we have shared a near-death experience, believe it or not. Uh, was it a plane crash? Was it a, a bear attack? No, it was a game of basketball at our annual clergy conference. <laughs> There we all were, all these old, out-of-shape clergy giving 110% to get this little ball through a bucket on the blazing hot, outdoor, sand-covered courts of Camp St. Christopher. We played for hours, hours and hours. We gave it all our, our all. It's a miracle we didn't all have coronaries, seriously. Again, a great joy to be here today among friends. Is that me? Is that my heartbeat? I seem to be slower than usual. Yeah, just, okay. we'll just let you go from that one. Sounds good. This is one of those things where God shows you that he chooses foolish things to confound the wise. <laughs> I'm often confounded. So. <laughs> uh, this morning we are going to look at our psalm, uh, Psalm 78. And it's a psalm of remembrance. It's a psalm recounting the mighty deeds of God uh, so that we as God's people can have hope for the future as we remember what God has done in the past. And while there are a number of psalms of remembrance in the Bible, this one has a very special focus. It's all about parenting, uh, raising children to follow the Lord. And as the father of three boys, I don't know if there's ever been a more challenging time to be a Christian parent. Uh, The distractions, the temptations, the dangers of our increasingly anti-Christian culture. You know, when I hear about um, the drugs that kids are using in middle school, when I hear about the depravity that they have access to on the internet at their fingertips, it's like nothing I experienced um, when I was growing up. And the statistics are, are very sobering. Uh, Young people are leaving the church. And what's most troubling is that they're not coming back. They're not coming back. LifeWay did a survey and discovered that if a Christian college student stops going to church uh, when they go to college, there's about a 70% chance they will not return to church. So very, very sobering stuff. But praise God, he has given us the antidote for these troubling trends. And we find some of it here in Psalm uh, 78. God basically tells us that there are three things 
we can uh, give our children to nourish their souls. Three spiritual vitamins, if you will. Uh, what are they? Their glorious deeds, their testimony, and their law. And so we find them in verses 4 and 5 where we read, We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them. And so the first thing to note is that God commands us to teach our children. This is not a suggestion, a recommendation, some good advice. This is a divine command. Our fundamental calling as parents, grandparents, godparents, etc., is to tell our children about God. And the reason should be fairly obvious. Just say you're a very health-conscious family. You only eat organic, you exercise every day, you do prune juice enemas just for fun. (laughs) You um, just say your kids grow up, again, super, super healthy. They live to be 120. But what good is that if they don't know Jesus and go to hell when they die? Or say you love sports and you do all the travel teams and and your kid grows up to star for the New York Yankees. Or you're really into academics and uh, you do all the, the AP classes and your kid grows up to be president of Harvard. Again, what good is all that earthly success if they spend eternity apart from you and apart from God? You know, as Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And this is why God commands parents to teach their children. As Paul says in Ephesians, uh, bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. We should take biblical instruction at least as seriously as brushing teeth and learning algebra. And the Bible is so wise to focus on parents. Sociology has confirmed that parents have the greatest influence on the spiritual lives of their children. Way more than people like me, family pastors or youth ministers or whoever. You know, best case scenario, the church may get your kids 80 hours a year. Best case scenario. But parents are around their kids thousands of hours a year, whether they want to be or not, especially when they're young. And so God commands parents to give their kids these uh, spiritual vitamins, the glorious deeds of the Lord, his testimony in Jacob and the law in Israel. And so first, let's look at glorious deeds. This certainly includes the deeds of the Bible. But it should also include the glorious deeds God has done in your own life. You know, kids love a good story. And so what are the God stories in your life? How has God saved you? How has God healed you? What are the coincidences you can't explain? When have you really felt God's presence? How did you come to Christ? Tell these things to your kids and grandkids and godkids. We can also tell the stories of the Christian martyrs and the saints and even some of our our own ancestors. I tell my boys the story of their great, great, great 
uh, grandfather, Norwegian Halvor Halvorsen. He, uh, he ran away to sea as a boy. He found himself in a yellow fever epidemic in the Caribbean. He told God that if he were spared, he would give his life to Christ. By God's grace, he didn't die. He went back to Oslo, went to seminary, emigrated to Wisconsin to pastor a circuit of Lutheran churches. Sometimes he was chased by wolves on horseback as he rode between parishes. And at his funeral, there were 5,000 people, wagons uh, lining the road as far as the eye could see. My boys love these kinds of stories. So tell the Lord's glorious deeds. But secondly, there are the testimonies of Jacob, the stories of God in the Bible. One of the tragedies of our modern age is that our children are biblically illiterate. Wheaton College did a survey of incoming freshmen and discovered that a third of their students could not identify Matthew as an apostle from a given list of names. A third could not identify the book of Acts as containing Paul's travels. Half could not tell that the Passover was in the book of Exodus. My friends, we need to get back to reading the Bible to our kids, our grandkids, our godkids. The healing and the revival of our nation depend upon it. As Jonathan Edwards famously noted in his farewell sermon, he said, Every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ. And family education and order are some of the chief means of grace. If these fail, all other means are likely to prove ineffectual. If the family fails, all other means are likely to prove ineffectual. If families don't educate our children in the Bible, our society will continue to crumble. The good news, however, is that there's lots of hope. There's lots of hope. During the pandemic, one uh, family at St. Michael's, they started reading the Gospels to their four kids over the dinner table. And they were shocked to discover when they'd come to the end of a chapter that the kids would ask for more. They were hungry for the word of God. We need to give our kids more credit than we do. They were built to run on the word of God. We need to give it to them. And I've also seen families you know, put these things into place in real and tangible ways. Just a few months ago in a, a men's group, one dad shared the story. His six-year-old daughter, Lucy, had recently been overcome with anxiety, having panic attacks and things like this. You see, she'd stumbled across a book about the Taliban and had been traumatized by what she'd seen. Her parents uh, really didn't know what to do. But in this group of men, uh, uh, Dan, the dad, was encouraged to use his God-given authority in Christ to pray for his daughter. And so the next time she had a panic attack, he went over and he put his hand on her head. And she said, Dad, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to pray. And in the name of Jesus, he rebuked the spirits that were tormenting of fear. And he loosed the peace of God in her life. And she was free of that fear. And shortly thereafter, she came to her dad and she said, Dad, let's pray for the Taliban too. They need Jesus, right? (laughs) 
So there's power as we share the word of God with our families, as we live it out in our lives. Uh, Thirdly, after glorious deeds and testimonies, there's also law, the law of Israel. Kids need to know the truth. That's what sets us free. And the truth is not only a story, it's also law, it's doctrine, it's catechism. Uh, These things are essential for spiritual flourishing. I recently read the account of Kyle Dunn. He was a passenger on American Airlines Flight 2775 just last month. And shortly after takeoff, one of the engines failed, and they were told to prepare for a crash landing. What would you do if you had 90 seconds to prepare for death? Well, as people around them wept, Kyle and his wife, Brittany, actually recited the catechism to each other. I'm not my own, but belong body and soul in both life and death to Jesus Christ, my Savior. When your kids or grandkids are in a plane crash, in a crisis, on their deathbed, what do you want them to hold on to? What do you want to be the anchor in their soul. A couple years ago, we were on vacation in the mountains of North Carolina, and we were going to be staying in a house on the top of this mountain. Uh, The gravel road up the mountain was the steepest grade I've ever driven in my life. Uh, There was a little sign at the bottom of the road that said, only four-wheel drive vehicles on this road, and we were in our old Dodge Caravan. It's not my best decision. And about uh, halfway up the mountain, our wheels started spinning in the gravel. We started sliding off the road. It's pretty scary. But suddenly from the back of the van, one of my boys started singing, Dear Lord Jesus, bless our family. Bless our family every day. Dear Lord Jesus, bless our family. Bless our family in every way. It's a little ditty we often sing in the car. And somehow we made it up the road. So teach your kids, again, God's glorious deeds, the testimonies of Jacob, the law in Israel. But finally, we need to address a looming and unpleasant question. But what if I failed? What if I've blown it? What if I haven't shared the good news of Jesus with my kids, my grandkids, like I should have. It's striking that most of this psalm is actually not a psalm of success, but of failure. In later verses, the psalmist records how Israel rebelled against God, refused to obey God, forgot God's works, tested God, lied to God, etc., etc. The truth is, many of us have and are struggling As parents and grandparents, we haven't told our kids what they need to hear. So what do we do? A couple things as we close. First, if you're feeling overwhelmed, know that parenting is actually meant to bring us to the end of ourselves. It's it's meant to bring us to our knees before Jesus. Do you know what is the first description of parenting in the Bible? Anyone? Genesis, yeah. He's cheating. 
you heard it already. Uh, Genesis 4. Genesis 4. Of course, it's the story of Cain and Abel, every parent's worst nightmare. One sibling murdering another. But in the very last verse of that chapter, we read this. We read, at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, the challenges of parenting are meant to drive us to our knees to call upon the name of the Lord. And so don't despair if you're struggling. Call out to Jesus. And secondly, if your grandparents, and if you regret missed opportunities with your own kids, it's never too late to begin. I heard of one grandmother who recorded a video uh, message to her grandchildren, and she said this. She said, there's a couple of things I want you to know about me. I was not a person of power or prominence, but I was a person of prayer. And I've laid up for you in the throne room of God prayers that you will come to know the great God and Savior I have served for 78 years. The next thing I want you to know is that God has already given me my address in heaven. So write it down. When you get there, come visit me real soon. I'll be living at the corner of Hallelujah and Pray Street. So call out to God. And use the time that you do have to speak to your children and grandchildren. And in closing, there's one final thing that we all need to hold on to tightly. It's kind of mysterious, but we find it in verse 2. We read, I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings from of old. What in the world does this mean? Dark sayings. You know, deeds, law, testimony, those things are hard enough. Can we really handle one more thing? Yes. Because the dark sayings are actually the best thing of all. In Matthew 13, the apostle actually quotes this exact verse, slightly retranslating it. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the crowds in parables, and we read, This was to fulfill what was spoken. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So what are these dark sayings? Essentially, they're things hidden since the foundation of the world. Hidden, but not forever. Waiting for the perfect moment to be revealed. There are mysteries and parables that don't fully make sense until the fullness of time when God sends his son. And as Jesus steps into the picture, all the dark sayings, all the mysteries, all the parables and prophecies, they begin to make sense. For we see that Jesus is the seed of Adam who crushes Satan under his heel. Jesus is Noah saving his people from judgment. Jesus is Isaac carrying the wood up the mountain of sacrifice. He's the Passover lamb by whose blood we are saved. He's the manna from heaven. He's the living water. He's the true temple. He's the great I am. He's Isaiah's suffering servant. He's Zachariah's king riding in on a donkey. He's the king Micah prophesied would be born in Bethlehem. He's David's rejected stone that has become the cornerstone. He's the one Daniel saw in a vision like the Son of Man. He's 
Isaiah's light of the world dawning on those dwelling in darkness. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace. And he's the fulfillment of every parable. He's the good Samaritan who picks us up on the side of the road when we're crushed. And he loves us back to health. And the greatest of all dark sayings, of course, is the message of the cross. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Greeks, but to us it is life and salvation. And we actually see the cross embedded in the last words of our psalm reading, kind of hidden in all of that failure. We read, but God being compassionate atoned for their iniquity. It's on the cross, Jesus atoned for all of our sins, including our failure as parents. You know, my friends, there's no greater pain than family pain and estrangement, right? That's the worst there is. But on that tree, Jesus experienced the ultimate breakdown of family. Complete estrangement from his father crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced shame and abandonment for us so that when we fail as fathers and mothers, we can run into the arms of our Heavenly Father who loves us and forgives us. Jesus experienced separation from God so that we can know nothing will now separate us from his love. And so turn to him, my friends, wherever you are. Turn to him, run to him. With all your hopes, with all your failures, he's for you. He's not against you. He wants you and your family to flourish. He's so compassionate. He's ready to listen. And he remembers our sins no more. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, which is life and bread. Thank you for your great love for our families. Lord, help us uh, by your spirit to pass on, to share uh, the good news of Jesus with the coming generations. Help them to receive it. And Lord, help us to come to you even when we fail. We love you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.